Welcome to Thriller Vault, where thriller writers tell their favorite stories. I'm your host, Phil Williams, and today I am actually by myself. So I'll be telling you a story that I titled On Fire. And this story is about an employee that I had who was very interesting, to say the least. In 2001, I owned a small landscaping company in Alexandria, Virginia. We were in desperate need of part of a part-time mechanic to help maintain and fix our trucks and equipment. So we hired the only applicant who, who replied to our advertisement. His name was William Miller. William had a full-time job as a Lexus mechanic, but wanted to work on the weekends for extra money. This worked out great for us as the trucks and equipment would be available on the weekends for servicing. William lived nearby in a townhouse, so the location worked well for him. William Miller was a chubby guy, not very tall. He was about 5'8". He had a gut, but he also had a flat butt, so he often had issues with his pants staying up. It wasn't uncommon for him to bend over and show his butt crack. Not sure if he wore underwear. Right away, there were many issues with William beyond his lack of underwear and a decent belt. He was extremely messy. He never returned any of the tools to their place during snow season while servicing the salt spreader, but he dumped oil in the spreader and then ran the spreader in front of our office, dousing the parking lot with oil. William was also the type of employee who did more talking about all the things he did than actually completing tasks. He was also very boastful and told stories that were likely exaggerated or outright lies. He told me that he had connections to the Jersey mob. He often talked about the fortune he made as a Lexus mechanic. He bragged about going to expensive restaurants with his wife. He often used homophobic language in his stories. For example, if he or someone else were screwed over in, in his story, he would make a reference to anal sex saying something like, the person took it up the, the you-know-what. I'll let the listener figure out what the you-know-what is. In the shop, he might even punctuate the anal sex reference by thrusting his hips and mimicking the act, all with a big grin on his face. After the winter, we hired a full-time mechanic and no longer needed a messy weekend mechanic. We parted with William Miller on good terms, thankfully. I never heard from him again, but he would become famous. Sometime later, I was driving through William Miller's community, a community in which we had many landscaping clients. I noticed that his house had been burned. After his house in Virginia was burned, William Miller moved to Scottsdale, Arizona and purchased a PuroClean franchise, which specialized in building cleanup from fire and flood damage. William hired a Navy veteran named Stephen Duffy. After Stephen Duffy was working for William for a short time, he brought his girlfriend Tammy Lovell to the company, and William hired Tammy too. Tammy was recently divorced after a 14-year marriage that began when she was just 16 years old and resulted in three children. She was starting over with Stephen and with her new job at PuroClean, with, his, with her new boss, which was William Miller. Tammy and two of her children, Cassie and Jacob, moved in with Stephen Duffy in Scottsdale, Arizona. According to Tammy's sister, Luhana, Stephen was good to Tammy, good to her kids. She described him as a good person. Cassie and Jacob were happy in Arizona, too. Everyone was happy. Life was good. Stephen and Tammy loved working together at PuroClean, although they didn't like working for William Miller. Stephen and Tammy cleaned houses and buildings that had been damaged by fire and flood. They did a lot of work during Hurricane Katrina in 2005. 
William Miller owed Stephen and Tammy $10,000 in back pay, but William didn't have the money. William promised Stephen the back pay if Stephen would help him with a special job. On Friday, November 25, 2005, Stephen helped William burn his own house down in order to collect the insurance payout. Afterward, there was a noticeable change in Stephen. He felt guilt and worry over what he had done. Stephen confessed to Tammy. She was stunned by his admission. Stephen had no criminal record at the time, not even a speeding ticket. Tammy contacted an attorney without Stephen's knowledge and asked what to do. The attorney advised going to the police and admitting what had happened. Tammy contacted her mother and asked for her advice. Her mother told her to do what was best for her children. Behind Stephen's back, Tammy contacted the Scottsdale Police Department in late November of 2005. Her contact initiated an arson investigation. Shortly after this, Tammy dropped Stephen at a Home Depot and said she had to run an errand and would be right back, but instead, she had set up Stephen to be arrested by the detectives working the arson case. Stephen was arrested that day at Home Depot. Stephen cooperated with the detectives, telling them that he and William Miller had burned Miller's house in Scottsdale with the intention of collecting the insurance money. Tammy and Stephen then became state's witnesses against William Miller. The police set up a recorded phone call between Stephen and William Miller with the hope that Stephen could get William to admit the crime, but William didn't say anything incriminating. Then, the investigators asked Tammy to call William Miller. Tammy was scared, but she made the call and she was able to get William Miller to incriminate himself over the phone. On December 1st, 2005, the Scottsdale police arrested William Miller and charged him with arson, fraud, and endangerment. William Miller made bail. With William Miller out on bail, Tammy was worried for her and her children's safety, and Stephen's safety too. She was thankful that they lived in a gated community, so she hoped everyone would be protected. The house was a two-story. The houses were very close together. Driveways were shared. Stephen made a deal with the DA so he could walk with probation. Tammy expressed to her mother that she wanted to move to Utah to be near her once Stephen's case was done and he was cleared by the authorities to move. At this time, Tammy didn't go anywhere without her gun on her hip. She told her sister that she knew her life was in danger. Both Tammy and Stephen were fearful of William Miller. They kept guns by their bedside, just in case. On February 21, 2006, at 2.45 a.m., neighbors of Tammy and Stephen heard gunshots and screams, so they called 911. Police officers responded to the scene, but the house was calm. Nobody answered the door, so they brought in the SWAT team, worried that someone could be inside with a gun. SWAT breached the house at 5.30 a.m. Stephen Duffy's dead body was found at the top of the stairs with multiple gunshot wounds. Shane Duffy was on a bed, killed by a gunshot wound to the head. Cassie was dead on the floor in the bedroom, also with a gunshot wound. Tammy was found dead in Jacob's room, her last act on this earth trying to protect her son. Cassie was only 15. Jacob was only 10. The police found that the weapons used to kill the five people was a 9mm revolver and a 22. They knew the 9mm was a revolver because there were no 9mm casings at the scene. The police immediately started to look at William Miller, given his connection to Stephen via the pending arson case. The police started surveilling William Miller. According to police, 
Miller was difficult to surveil as he had several locations and vehicles. He drove erratically, often running red lights as if he knew he was being watched. The day after the murders, on February 22, 2006, at 11.30 a.m., William Miller reached out to the police department, stating that someone was targeting him. He said that his employees had been murdered and that someone had stolen a gun from his secretary's car days prior. Detectives discovered that William Miller's secretary had purchased a 9mm revolver eight days prior to the murders. Detectives went to the gun store where the revolver had been purchased. The clerk said that there was a male present when the gun had been purchased. The detectives showed the clerk an array of photos. The clerk identified William Miller from the pictures as the male present. At this time, there was a source using the name Richard Nixon who was talking with the local press, feeding them negative information about the victims. Some of the journalists thought William Miller and Richard Nixon were the same person. On February 27, 2006, at 9 a.m., William Miller reported a burglary of his rented house. He reported that a faucet was left on, causing water damage. Miller also told detectives that someone had fired a gun through the window, hitting his bed. The police compared the ballistic evidence from the murder scene to the burglary at William Miller's house, and they found that the same gun was used. According to William, he thought he was being targeted by the same person who killed Stephen and Tammy. During the investigation, PuroClean employees told police that they were uncomfortable around William Miller. Several employees reported that William Miller had attempted to hire them to kill Tammy and Stephen. These employees didn't follow through, but at least one may have taken money from William Miller, but then didn't follow through, just taking the cash. An employee said William Miller used a grinder to destroy the 9mm revolver and the pieces had been dispersed at the Paradise Valley Mall. Police found a large piece in a fountain at the mall. The piece was a part of a 9mm revolver. The local press found out with a voicemail comparison that William Miller was in fact Richard Nixon, the man who had been feeding the press negative information about Stephen and Tammy. On March 1st, 2006, at 11.30 a.m., police located an associate of William Miller. This associate was asked to house-sit at Miller's home on the night of the murder. The associate said that he saw two firearms on the kitchen counter. One of them was a 22 pistol with a homemade silencer. Miller grabbed the 22 and took the associate into his backyard and fired the pistol. Williams said, I can fire a gun in my backyard and nobody knows about it. With the information from the associate, the police got a search warrant and searched Miller's rental home. They found the 22 caliber shell casing in the backyard and it matched the 22 caliber evidence they found at the murder scene. The police now had probable cause to arrest William Miller. He was arrested at a Scottsdale restaurant where he had been having dinner with his wife. Detectives described Miller as arrogant and narcissistic. William Miller was booked on five counts of first-degree murder. In August of 2011, William Miller was convicted by a jury of his peers. In Arizona, in addition to the guilty or not guilty verdict, juries also decide whether or not to put someone to death. The jury sentenced William Miller to death. Throughout the trial, no remorse was shown by William. He is currently on death row in Arizona. It's my opinion that William Miller is a sociopath. Sociopaths are people who have no conscience. Not all sociopaths are killers like William Miller, but sociopaths are almost always a destructive force in the lives they touch. 
Imagine what someone might do without a conscience. According to Dr. Martha Stout, approximately 4% of the population is sociopathic or 1 in 25. Now, I've heard other uh, sources cite as low as 1%, but Martha Stout in her book, The Sociopath Next Door, says 4%, which, like I said, is 1 in 25. So whether it's 1% or 4%, chances are we all have a few sociopaths in our lives. The best thing to do if you have a sociopath in your life is to stay away from them. Thank you all for listening to Thriller Vault. I hope you all come back next week. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and stay the hell away from sociopaths. 